Hi, you're listening to the Raise the Vibe with Liz podcast. I'm your host, Liz Peterson. I interview today's inspirational speakers and healers. Thank you for listening to the show. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Raise the Vibe with Liz. I'm your host, Liz Peterson, and today with me, I have Sir Bron the Blessed from Portland, Oregon. Bron, welcome. Thank you so much for joining me today. I'm so excited to have you on the show. Well, thanks for having me, Liz. I'm really excited. Thank you so much. So you are author, artist. I know you as Tara Reader. How about you start by explaining a little bit about who you are for the listeners who don't know you, your background, and what journey brought you to where you are today? Well, I'm an experienced darling. Um, <laughs> first off, also to mention my pronouns are they, them, and yours are she, hers, right? Yes. Just Thank making you. sure we're, we're getting, sometimes even I forget because I forget how people could not know that my pronouns are they, them, but then I won't have mentioned it. So that's, that's oh. really my fault half the time. So uh, gosh. Uh, well, I started out as a performer, actually. Uh, I, was, I went to the School of American Ballet, and I was a ballet dancer, and ballet was my life. I danced for Ballet West, uh, Utah Opera, Long Beach Opera. Uh, I danced around the world. I did a bunch of musicals. Um, and when I was growing up as a kid, I grew up in multiple traditions. I didn't really think anything much of it. I thought of it much like most people probably think about growing up in Protestantism. I grew up in curanderismo, which is um, Mexican magical healing work. Uh, and um, I grew up in with Irish cunning crafts, trad crafty uh, kind of around. And I grew up um, in voodoo and I grew up with hoodoo around. So um, because I am different cultures and I have a grandparent from each of those cultures I was raised in each of those cultures so um for me it was like you know reading tarot or or um reading ancestor cards or crossing someone uncrossing someone cleansing a space these were just basic skills that someone would have I never really thought of them as um anything that could be commercialized uh, or or anything that would be uh, and especially at that time uh, with with the extreme culture of whiteness that we had around us, um, I actually thought of them as something that you really kept secret, um, and and that you didn't talk about. Um, so basically, you know, it's funny because my grandparents definitely used their skills in our communities, and and that was definitely there. Um, but there was just like a balance because I was in this other world, this incredibly white world of ballet and opera and and theater and um, dance and musical theater and also modeling because I was uh, with Wilhelmina Models for a while. Uh, and so, you know, when I retired and I came home, uh, to Portland, Oregon, from New York City. I'd lived in Shanghai. I'd lived in South America. I'd lived uh, in Hollywood. I'd lived in. I'd lived everywhere. I'd done it all. Um, it was really cool. I really loved it. Um, but I came home, and it was kind of like, well, what do I do now? And I tried to wait tables, and <laughs> and I was a horrible bartender because everyone just wanted to tell me their problems, and and basically. Uh, you know, finally someone, one of the bar managers was like, uh, you know, just go sit in that corner 
and go read the cards because I had the would always have the cards in my back pocket while I was bartending. Awesome. And they were like, just go sit in the corner and just freaking read the cards and do what you're here to do. And that ended up being a business for me. Um, and then I started reading in, in stores like Flutter and Cargo and these local leading stores, which meant that I didn't have a storefront. But I could partner with these local businesses to add color to their business. And they wouldn't take any of my money. They would just like, let me be there. And before you know it, people would start to just kind of come. And I had a regular clientele. And um, that was really, I guess, touching for me. You know, (laughs) because I thought, okay, well, no one's going to want to hear me do this thing. But no, they did. And so from there, I started writing a book um, called uh, The Black, Brown, and Queer Intersectional Magical Survival Guide, because I realized all these things were happening to me that were really intense. And I was getting through them using magic and, and my faith and my spirituality and my tarot. And, and I was like, and there were all these things that I knew that I thought everyone learned from their grandparents, but apparently you don't. And so like, so there were all these mixed kids that didn't have ties to their heritage, all these people who needed a reconnecting. Um, And so that was how the book started and it got picked up by microcosm publishing. Um, And then from there, there was a tarot section in the book and I had to, I, I was writing about tarot, like just the major arcana. And I was like, well, what pictures am I going to put beside this? I can't put the Rider weight deck in a book all about celebrating brownness and about celebrating queerness and diverse abledness and all these things. Because as much as I love the Rider weight, it celebrates none of those things. Um, it is blank of all of those things. So I was like, okay, what do we do? And so I started drawing my own tarot deck and that took on a life of its own. Um, it is now really beautiful. It is all the gods of different pantheons and they're all brown, queer and diversely able bodies. And so you'll see Ganesh in a wheelchair. You see a black Odin. You see a black amputee uh, Isis is the high priestess. Like, and and I have not gotten that picked up yet. I hope Microcosm will pick that up too. Oh, but, to. but, um, but, you know, no pressure, guys. Uh, but they were just kind of like, let's see how your book pans out and we'll see what how that works. I could publish it myself and I might, but I'm really hoping they'll decide to do it as a package deal. And um, that would be actually great. because also uh, it, all the pictures are in the book itself. Mm-hmm. So I think it's a really cool option for people. So I might publish it myself in a short, small initial run. Uh, and, and I'm talking about that because I have 10 shops here in Portland that want to carry it. Great. So. That is fabulous. So. And it's so needed right now. You look around at all the decks. You brought out your, you know, box of all your decks, you know, during the reading that you gave me and showed me. And like you said, there are very few decks that have color. And if they do, it's only one or two. 
Yes. Well, and not just that, or they're in the minor arcana, or here's the other thing is there's very few decks that I notice that have intersectionality where mm -hmm. you have a brown queer couple. You just don't, I've yeah. never seen it. I've never seen it. Or where a woman's both a black woman and diversely abled or where like they, these things just don't happen. And when they do display brown people, you see things like the ghetto tarot, which is an amazing deck, which I love a lot. Um, it was made from found things in Haiti, I believe. And I love that deck. But at the same time, it, it, it does play into our stereotypes. Like, it does. And in my deck, we're all wearing things right out of Vogue. Like, we're, <laughs> I mean, I mean, I really modeled my deck after the action of X-Men meets Lisa Frank meets Vogue magazine. And that's really what I wanted um, were my favorite things. And they're fabulous. Can you pull out a couple and go through a couple of them? Sure. With Hold on one second. That would be fantastic. Hold on. Just grab a couple off the top. Well, here's one. Here's the magician. You can really see him. And this is actually a self-portrait. I also realized throughout these that I'd never drawn my own image. So I'm actually throughout four or five of these cards, male and female. <laughs> Just because. But here's the magician. How was that for you, doing self-portrait? You know, uh, really emotional. yourself in these cards. Really deeply, deeply, deeply emotional. Um, and really, I had to, like, realize how I felt about my own oppression throughout a lot of it. Um, here is Isis as the high priestess. Beautiful, beautiful colors, the magenta and the gold and the wings and the light. Yes. And so you can, she is diversely able to hear and that she is an amputee, but my goal was oh, that, yeah, not, but my goal was that that not be the first thing you notice about her. I, I did not want that to be the first thing that anyone noticed. Um, I wanted it to just be a part of who she was. Um, there's a black Odin here. It's the emperor. Nice. Being a hottie. Just, I don't know why he does it for me. <laughs> <laughs> and then um, you see Ganesh here is the Aerophant. Ah, and Ganesh is in a wheelchair. He is in a wheelchair, a golden throne of a wheelchair, point of fact. Um, and I like how you have a lot of gods and goddesses represented. Oh, that's all that's in here. Um, the deck is called the Holy Othered Tarot. Wonderful. The Holy okay. Other Tarot. Hopefully othered. we'll be seeing soon. Like, like someone who's othered. Yes. And then here we have, uh, we have the story of Apollo and Hyacinth and Zephyrus, which actually originally had a sad ending, but I changed it. And this is um, our lover's card. Wonderful. And I like the wings wrapped around them and how they're embraced together. Yeah. And then one last one, one of my, well, two, we'll do two last ones. Um, you also see the hermit here is Coyote. Great. Um, and Rainbow he, and he's dancing. No, he's actually leading one of the elders. Oh, I see the hand now. Thank you. Death to join the ancestors. That's actually what this, this card is about. It's about um, that. And then one of my favorites is the death card, which is um, Kali Durga. Um, and she is lopping off white heads. <laughs> yeah. 
just lopping them off. Yeah, change. Um, and actually, we'll end on a on a happier note. Um, this is a trans Apollo, a trans male Apollo, AFAB, uh, which means assigned female at birth. And this is the sun card. And he is, you know, just basking in his gloriosity. They're beautiful, Bron. Thank you. I'm very happy with them. And um, I'm working on the Minor Arcana right now. And the cool thing about that is instead of a, a um, tarot Minor Arcana, it's going to be a playing card deck, as is the Black Tradition. And in each um, suit, there's spade, hearts, etc. Each suit is a different region of the pantheons of the world and is a, all the pictures in that suit link up to make one gigantic picture so you see a panorama of the gods of that region. Oh, what a great idea. So, um, yeah, I'm working really hard on them. Right now I'm working on the gods of voodoo, um, which is the heart suit, mm -hmm. um, and I'm really excited. So besides wanting to link them up with your book, I think there was another heart mission behind these cards. How about if we discuss that a little bit? You know, what you're looking, you know, to community in this way. What do you mean? Because um, I, I have so many missions. Sometimes I get a little bit. <laughs> you do have a lot of missions. <laughs> I do have a lot of missions. So sometimes I'm dorky and I can get a little sidetracked. Talk to me about what you mean. Okay. Well, let's see. How can I rephrase it? Okay, on Instagram today, mm -hmm. I was scrolling through and I was reminded of a story that you told with um, Urzuli Frida, the card that you, you know, created around her and someone, what someone commented to you that you weren't passing enough yeah. to be trans and your heart and how you put that experience into the card. Like, yeah, oh, cards. Yeah, yeah. As a matter of fact, there are multiple trans women in in my card decks, and um, I, I one of them is passing, and the other two are not. Uh, Erzuli Freda uh, is this is actually my um, personal uh, devotional deity, uh, um, and here's the thing: is she has three husbands. Uh, and, and they are very much very prominent in the heart suit. And they're all not only just holding her hand, they're holding each other's hands, which is amazing. Um, you got to see the mock-up of the Erzuli Freda um, uh, card. Mm -hmm. And it's the Queen of Hearts. And she's just completely beautifully naked, uh, covered in her own hair. Um, and it did. It inspired me to make a card where she was looking so beautiful and so resplendent and so self-accepting and, and feeling herself, but um, didn't have to be passing. Like she has an Adam's apple that you can see. Um, there are little, I very purposely drew little things that made her not a, uh, a typical cis passing body. And I wanted that to be very, 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 very clear. And it's very much in the style of Erzuli Freda because Erzuli, um, she takes whatever form she wants. She's a shapeshifter. Um, she doesn't really give a fuck what anyone wants and she loves her queer people. So, uh, you know, I, I definitely felt that that was, um, important and each of these cards is a mission like each of these was um inspired by a um 
feelings of oppression that I had in different instances or that I witnessed mm -hmm. uh, someone else going through. Um, each of them was something where I was like, oh, I'm going to take this experience of someone feeling othered and I'm going to make this into something beautiful. Wonderful. So, I mean, I even cataloged my own lynching, like, because it had happened so many times where I'd been attacked, where I'd been raped, where I'd been whatever. So the hanged, the hanged one is myself. Um, well, here, let me find it. But uh, it's myself and I am literally being attacked um, in, in the frame and you can see it. No. See the white hands. Yep. I'm also wearing something fabulous because you know no reason not to. But um, you know the it, it's the whole deck is about oppression and about how our being othered sets us apart, but also elevates us. Mm -hmm. And it's those things that make you feel um, like you're alone, like you aren't good enough that actually allow you to find out who you are and have the strength to stand on your own as well. Right. Diversity definitely does build strength. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> How did growing up in Astoria being the only black boy, you know, in your community while you were growing up with your parents in the military, how did that, you know, play a role in who you are today? Well, what you want to convey to everyone. Here's one thing I'll say. I'm not a boy. I've never been one, but I play one beautifully. And, <laughs> and um, you know, Astoria is a beautiful place. Uh, it had, it was really great. Thank God I had summers with my grandparents where I got to see and experience and, and experience other things. Was it was, South? was that? Was that in the South? Mm. It was in California, actually. All of them had moved down to California, and I got to got to kind of experience them there. Nice. Um, but but my black side is from the south. Um, but what was I saying? Oh, Astoria was a wonderful place. Um, it also had a ton of white supremacists, a ton of white supremacy. It, it, I didn't even have a word for what was I was experiencing. Um, there, they had the military at the time had. Uh, kept moving families away, brown families, because literally they could not live there because they kept getting attacked. Um, and they didn't realize because my dad looks white and my mom is passing. Uh, my dad is white and then my mom, my mom is passing. Mm -hmm. uh, I have a stepdad who's been with my mom since I was one and, and you know, he's a white guy. And um, the point is, they had no idea that they had a brown child. And so... I just dealt with it and me and my sister and my brother just fought, literally physically fought, um, uh, just tooth and nail. I remember picking up rocks and hurling them. I remember, you know, being ready at any point uh, with, you know, just a knife in my pocket. Uh, I remember, you know, just the level of tension that I lived with was all encompassing. Um, I remember a friend of mine was a veteran and said, have you ever been to war? And I said, oh yeah, I grew up in war. 
And they go, no, no, you haven't been to war. You have no idea what that's like. And I said, oh, no, I, I very much do. It was a different kind of war. Uh, but I was one child, uh, you know, who at any point, because I was kidnapped multiple times, I was harmed multiple times, um, beaten within an inch of my life, raped, everything you could imagine that happens in wartime did indeed happen to me. Um, and there was never a point where I was under the illusion that I wasn't, that it wasn't possible for me to die. Uh, so, um, you know, both with my magic and with my, and with my physical wits, I was at war constantly with the people around me. And I never knew if the white people around me were smiling at me because I was, they were my friends or were they smiling at me because I was lunch. And so. Zero it, trust. What was that? Zero trust. Oh, zero trust. Like the, I could trust the people in my family and not even them fully all the time. Um, because they have their own stuff they try to sort through and their own anti-blackness. And my mother, as much as I love her, would say anti-black things, not really realizing to this day she does. Uh, she says things like all lives matter and things like this. And it's like, no, 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 no. And refuses to, you know what I mean? So there was literally just... Yeah, it, it just was what it was. And the one time I ever got to relax was when I was with my grandparents. That was the only time I was safe. That was, and I think that that's why I learned so much is all of a sudden I went from such an elevated cortisol based like place to, uh, to actual safety. And then, um, and then all of a sudden my mind would, all these facts, <laughs> I mean, all the grandparents really taught you your magic, you know, that ancestral history. They did. They did. Um, on top of that, you know, the other place I was safe was the dance room. While I was in dance class, while I was on stage, no one could lynch me. No one could harm me. No one could do any of these things to me because I was literally on stage. So, um, so it's so funny. People talk about stage fright. And I remember, I remember sometimes being afraid to get off stage because I'd see people waiting for me in the wings that I knew were going to cause harm to me. And I would start, I'd be dancing on stage. I'd be doing my thing. And I'd be like, all right, well, I can grab one of the sandbags and I can like, like I'd be planning how to fight my way to safety from the stage without disturbing the performance. So like it, it's, um, it's God, sort of a conundrum to feel this is my safe place, but what do I need to do to prepare for when I leave this safe place? Yes. Yes, and I remember every time I would leave my grandparents, it would just be a fight. Not just for them, but for my parents. I did not want to see them. I did not want to be around them. Not because I didn't love them, but because I knew what it meant. And the sad part is I wasn't unpopular in school. Like, I had plenty of friends. It just, it, it was just these, this, these assholes who would, you know, uh, call me faggot, call me nigger, call me nigger faggot was, was their favorite. Um, and I just remember so clearly that was my life for so long, uh, uh that, you know, that was a reality, mm -hmm. which is, which is again, a bummer because I didn't realize how popular I really was. So I didn't realize the majority of people were on my side because I didn't, I just could not trust. So. 
So that's what it was like growing up in a story. It was both beautiful and wonderful and absolutely fucking terrifying. Sorry, Bron. It's okay. <laughs> now you have Creole, mm -hmm. Black, Mexican. Well, oh, well, correct me. Creole is Black, so wow. they're the same. Okay. Um, and, don't get me wrong. Okay. You can be Black without being Creole, but you cannot be Creole without being Black. Thank you. <laughs> and Irish. So magic and your grandparents giving you these traditions and teaching you these things. I remember hearing a story in your last interview on YouTube that you did with Keats, you know, mm -hmm. where you're playing checkers and then you're, you know, learning tarot. So yeah. can you share a little bit about learning the magic of your life? I mean, you know, I just didn't really think much of it. It was just literally like, um, learning checkers um like because i mean my abuelo always used to buck with me my abuelo was my grandfather he, he you know he would do this thing where i'd win like four out of five games of checkers you know what i mean like he he would he, he just he instilled a lot of which is actually what you're supposed to do with kids to instill confidence in them uh, you're supposed to let them win it, some games and let them believe that they won because uh, let them believe they're clever. Now, years later, I'm playing my abuelo at checkers and he's just kicking my ass. <laughs> like, <laughs> and, and I'm like, abuelo, what, what's going on? He's like, oh, no, I was just letting you win before me. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, it's just it's just what it is. But, you know we would do, go from that to learning herbs to to learning tarot to learning uh gosh seven alphabet uh what else uh all kinds of things like you know the the worlds and then also my grandmother my irish grandmother was in love with books so one of our favorite things to do is to go to the library and which was a couple blocks from our house and we would just get stacks of books and we would see how quickly we could get through the stack of books and um and so and she never ever ever read me rarely read me things for children um she read me the chronicles of narnia i remember that but mostly it was greek mythology chinese mythology japanese mythology like she believed in uh you know really exposing children to the world and she didn't believe that we needed it sugar-coated and um she had a really amazing way of like forcing you to acknowledge that you were smart and she would make you read she she'd start off the story but then she'd stop and you'd be like please continue <laughs> like and then she'd be like no no no, you finish um she read me a wrinkle in time she read me you know just these books that I guess some of them are children's books now that I look back at them, but they're not really. They're, they're books with, um, with very strong themes and very strong ideas. The Last Unicorn was my favorite book. Oh, I love that. Um, and yeah, now I, too as a child. And now I realize that I related to the main character and wanting to find others like her. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it was... My time with them was very precious and very, um, it, it just stands out in, in my mind. Like, it's so funny. It just stands in my mind as like a summer haze. Like, you know, the rest of my life was this cold, wintry nightmare. <laughs> and, and I just remember, you know, summers when the warmth would come, I'd get to go down there 
and pick oranges and pick fruit and because uh, they had fruit trees in their backyard and tend gardens and learn how to grow roses and learn how to tend herbs and learn how to do tarot and learn how to call animals to me and like the to to say it was like a magical sanctuary is a large understatement. Yeah, it sounded like it. So, but, you know, as a result, I, I still, and even with all that, I still underestimated what that knowledge was worth. Mm-hmm. Um, and that includes what my black grandparents taught me and, and, and the different languages and the different ways you know, to claim oneself and to clean spaces and to do all these things. Like, I, again, thought these were things everyone just picked up. Like how to do laundry, which I actually didn't know how to do. (laughs) (laughs) You learned a lot of great things along the way, which a lot of us, you know, fight to learn when we hit our 20s, 30s, you know, 40s. And you took your knowledge and you created... um, a school, hold on, I have it here somewhere, of magic and classes, help me out. It's Zephyr House Circle, and we're not a school, we're we're a circle. Um, So basically what what I figured out was, okay, I know all these amazing practitioners. Portland has all these amazing, and it's all linked together by the shops, and you know, okay, great, I know all these amazing people, and these people have all this knowledge. Okay, cool. So, what I brought together was a circle of practitioners who we are still solitaries. We still do the majority of our practice alone. Mm -hmm. But, once every two weeks, we have a book club where we do, um, we do three different excerpts of whichever book. Um, and basically what happens is, you know, the elders, that's the four of us that lead Zephyr House. Uh, we each nominate a book and then our, 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 our coveners decide, hey, we want to do that book. Great. Cool. And, um, and then if one doesn't get picked, because sometimes we want to read all the books. <laughs> it's not that it's a bad, but we feel like one is more pressing or what have you. So we'll do three excerpts from that book. That means like, you know, uh, one, one week, and then two weeks later, another, and then two weeks later, another. We never do more than three uh, things in the book. We never finish a book because by then we, we know, you know, if you want to finish it. Mm-hmm. So we trust our coven- coveners to um, our circle members to, to know that and to be able to then pick up the book and finish it themselves. So we have the book club. We also have, yeah, essentially we have a school in that we do do tons of classes from anti-racism training to uh, reclaiming the runes from, um, from fascism to um, uh, my class is called Terror Against Fascism. Um, I've done a hoodoo class. We're going to have an upcoming class about how to battle with magic, uh, which is going to be amazing. Um, and yeah, we have all the, oh, we have uh, sorcery classes and some of them, these are not always, we do have plenty of one-on-one classes, but we have, you know, classes that get up into stuff that I'm like, wait, hold on. Cause I'm in the class with, with a lot of the, the mm-hmm. circuit members and I'll be like, wait, hold up, go back. <laughs> <laughs> Cause I, especially where it comes to astrology, which is my weakest, weakest, weakest. Um, I'm always really working hard and I suck. I suck so hard at it. And it's okay because it is so wonderful to be, 
have something that you need to grow in so so much um so we do have those classes we do have um you know study group once every two weeks we have a seasonal circle um it used to be a monthly circle but we found out that was just too much to maintain mm -hmm. um and we're officially a nonprofit. we're working towards church status uh right now um in addition we have the portland occult library where people can borrow occult materials at um you pay 20 bucks to the library for like a, a fee right and then uh we keep your fee and you just keep borrowing out books that way it's accessible um and i'm very careful about what we have in there a lot of them are brown materials um brown materials that are rare um everything from hawaiian magic to you know magic of south america etc there is a european um section but i've been very careful to curate what's in that section because then the cool thing about european magic is there's a lot out there about it the crappy thing about european magic is there's a lot out there about it mm -hmm. and <laughs> A lot of it's not very curated um, and so I've tried to make sure that each of those traditions you kind of get a uh, um, taste a taste test but and and it's the good stuff you know but it's and it's reliable information mm -hmm. but it but at the same time you know you could fill up an entire bookcase on Nordic magic all, all alone yeah. um, and so we have the library, we have that. We also have a, a program for dedicants. The dedicants is anyone 25 or under who's in Portland and wants to learn magic. And we give them a grimoire, we give them tarot cards. We get, they attend all the classes for free because at, at under 25, you've got no money. Yeah. <laughs> and you may want to learn magic. So um, we, we teach them for free, um, which is amazing, but also they have to work the parties. Like, so, and we also throw parties. We throw the magical melanated mixer. We throw a, a holiday party. We um, are gonna be doing a social distance circle coming up and we're gonna be doing a social distance picnic coming up. Oh, uh, that sounds fabulous. Yeah, so we're, we're working hard and then we also have an anti-racism workshop coming up um, that yeah, we're preparing. That. On the 21st? I believe so. It's with Empress Rules Equity, and they are an amazing group that um, led by Kiyoshi. I cannot remember her last name for the life of me at this moment, but um, but but she and I have paired up um, on anti. Excuse me, anti. It's the twenty first. Yes, um, and it's a hundred dollars for the whole thing which is really accessible um usually kiyoshi works for big corporations doing this kind of thing and usually it's like seventeen hundred dollars a person to attend one of these workshops so it's at an extreme discount because she is working with zephyr house and we're very honored that she would even um consider doing such a thing for us you know what i mean um and and she approached me about she's like i have a I have a lot of, you know, POC voices. She's like, but I need a queer voice that's also equally and strongly POC. And she's like, you're it, kid. So I was like, all right, let's try this. <laughs> so that's August okay. 21st, and that's anti-racism for the magical community. Magical yes. Community. Cool. Yes, because um, just working in all the occult shops myself and as a tarot reader, and before that in retail, um, I started noticing that there were major problems. Like I used to work for um, on a cold stop called the Raven's Wing, which is in Selwood. And I used to experience extreme racism there, um, as did Terrence, another 
of the um, elders in Zephyr House. And his mom, who also worked there, is an amazing tarot card reader, has been reading, she read Hyten Ashbury in the 60s. Um, she's, a, she's a white lady, but they were, they committed ageism against her. They, they like, they did all this stuff to, um, you know, all these employees. And there was just an incredible amount of bullying going on. And our color definitely played into it. Um, even the tasks I would be given would be menial tasks. Um, and like, okay, carry all these candles from the basement, which fine, right? Yeah. But meanwhile, everyone else would be like, sort the herbs, or they'd give them chances to grow, or, you know what I mean? I'd be like, can I learn the register instead? Yeah, sure, after you do all this. Uh, it was just, um, and the abuse there um, is just really astronomical. You know, there's a couple places in Portland that are problematic. Them, there's one called Queen Map, and there's also New Renaissance, uh, who, you know, when I walked in and I asked for African traditional religions, not only did they not know what they were, but when, when I specified, they said, no, we don't sell dark magic here. Wow. I mean, just blatant and anti-blackness. And then they're posting, you know, Martin Luther King quotes. And so I, I wrote on their wall, I said, hey, uh, this is what happened to me in your store. I'm constantly followed. I'm constantly asked what I'm doing there. Uh, that's not cool. If you guys, as a leader in the community, I'm happy to help you rise above. Also, can we talk about the fact that you sh shrink wrap your sage, et cetera? Do we know where that source is? That an indigenous source? Like, like I'm really big on these things, and I don't think that they're in this decade when it comes to talking about. I think that they need to be held accountable. And I think that they are, there's pictures of brown people all in the walls in there, and there's no actual brown people working there. Uh, and, and or speaking there, or very few, or you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, I've also heard from other brown terror readers um, that they had bad experiences trying to audition for them as terror readers. And so that tells me right there, like, okay, these are problems, um, you know, and whether it's, you know, Ravenswing or Queen Mab, who actually committed personal abuse against me, and we won't get into that, but, you know, these, there are these stores, and people do give them their money, and I think it, it, it bears talking about, but then you also have others like Woo, W-O-O in Kenton, which is indigenously owned. And uh, Lauren is amazing and sweet and kind and good and gives, you know, uh, folks chances and really lifts up the community and takes part. Flutter, again, uh, owned by a person of color, uh, you know, Sarah's amazing. And she really was big on getting me my start. So, there's, there's a lot of other places to be giving your money. Uh, Love Potion Magical Perfumery in Vancouver is amazing. And Mara was a rock star in the 80s. She opened for like Prince and Bowie and all that. She was, she was in this girl band called um, Precious Metal. And she was the guitarist. And um, I remember one time, when I, before I'd figured out my business, she would find me jobs to work. She would find me work. And she is amazing everything in her shop is made by her all the perfumes all the everything and, and and she is one of the kindest best people i know and so not that she you know 
not that anyone's perfect, right? But there's also Seagrave. There's also Psychic Sister. There are amazing places that are uplifting all people. And we don't need to be giving our money to uh, places that aren't. Right. And let's get education like your workshop to the people, you know, who aren't. And, and, and you know, because I, I offered Renaissance not once, but twice. Because they're not, as far as I've interacted with them, it hasn't gotten to abuse yet. So at that point, I'm so willing to work with you. I'm so willing to talk with you. I'm so willing to be like, okay, so maybe we resource your sage. Maybe, maybe you don't sell sage because it's endangered. Um, maybe, <laughs> maybe uh, we, we look at who you carry because let's be honest, Llewellyn is not only outdated, they're racist as heck. Like, let's be real. Like they, on every level, pretty much only hire white authors, pretty much only talk about white things. Um, and they're not, I mean, I submitted my materials to them. They did. They just laughed me out of, out of the room and cool, whatever, enjoy your manners party. But at the same time, it's one of those things where it's like, okay, well, let's talk about where you're sourcing, sourcing your stuff and let's, let's be inclusive. But you know, in instances like Ravenswing and Queen Meb, yeah, they are deeply problematic because it's gone beyond, oh, we're just racist assholes. And it's like, we're abusive racist assholes. There's a pile of bodies out the door. Um, and that's deeply problematic. When I started looking, when I got fired uh, from Raven's Wing, um, and then it happened to Terrence and Miss Karen, I started digging, and I found out more and more stories of brown witches that they had harmed. Um, I won't give you the names, because some of them prefer to remain anonymous, but let's just say there's a pile of bodies out the door from here to Oakland. And it's really unacceptable and they and they keep hiring brown people like they keep high like they they definitely try to use those politics and say oh no we're not but you are you are and you know i mentioned it to the folks over at market obscure and i gave them some examples and and they had been having them read over there before and they were like oh no more and that's why and they were like will you come read and i said sure so i just straight up took it out of their hand because i quite frankly I, I don't, I don't, I don't play these games and I'm not going to be silent and I'm not going to be vague and I'm not going to be like, it rhymes with schmaven schming. Like, no. <laughs> yeah. It's an issue that needs to be addressed for sure. That and spiritual bypassing. Which is also something that we actually talk about uh, because for instance, um, with new Renaissance, I feel like that's what they're doing. They're just like, no, no, no. We're just not going to, oh, you know, it's fine. The holy light of the, fuck off. <laughs> so, yes, um, spiritual bypassing will definitely be included in that. Um, we're definitely going to be having some long, very difficult, very wonderful conversations that are going to help everyone grow. Awesome. Looking forward to it. And you're taking more of them online now? because of the uh, Right now, routine? right now, all our classes are online except for two the, um, the picnic is going to be in person, social distance picnic, and the social distance circle will be in person, but distant. And where do we go to find those? Ah, well, we're moving away from Facebook because unfortunately Facebook is not the best. Unfortunately, the other platform is Instagram. Uh, so um, Zephyr House Circle 
um, is one place. You can also follow me on Instagram at Sir Brown the Blessed. I will post on both. Uh, we used to have a Facebook um, uh, a group, but it seems like every time I call out racism on Facebook, I, I will get flagged for um, inappropriate speech. So, uh, which is funny because I'm like, I've, because like one time I got in trouble for saying the word white. Like they were like, but yeah, that was, I got banned for 30 days. So I just was like, okay, forget it. Uh, yeah. Um, Facebook makes it very clear what kind of platform they are. So, uh, so pretty much what we're doing is we're just moving over to Instagram. Um, and so you can see it there. Great. Yeah. Awesome. And then, so I want to dive a little bit into what you do and how you do it. So you read for hours, several different shops. Like how do you manage your energy? Cause that's a big question, you know, in the healing arts mm -hmm. is managing your energy. So what are your tools and tricks, you know, that you can share with everybody around that? Well, number one, um, Cleanse your space. Make sure your space is cleansed. Remember that you are in charge of your space. So what that really means is if you don't like someone, that's cool. You just want their money. That's cool. But like you need to get that money so that you can eat. That does not mean that you cannot give them healing advice. That does not mean that you have to phone it in. But it does mean you need to be very aware of what the bottom line is with them. So I had one asshole in a bar that I was reading for, and he just kept interrupting me. And so finally, I just said, so here's what I'm going to do. You're going to count to 30 seconds. And you're going to listen the whole time. Then I'm going to allow you a breath and one word. Then you're going to do it again. And I literally just put him on a practice to where he could, there was, there was, you know what I mean? He was so focused on that all of a sudden, he was mentioned on that, that he couldn't interrupt me. Um, and so Never. I made sure that he knew this is from here to here is my kingdom. You do not have any say. Now as host in my kingdom, it is my job to take care of you, to make sure that you are take to make sure that I'm mindful of you, that I'm not violating you. There's there's definitely a, um some some things as a host that you need to be aware of, but like what we don't do and what I'm not gonna have is someone taking the reading out of my hands and running with it down the street. So just I would say that that is a huge ener energy maintainer is um just always realizing you can cancel a reading at any time. You can stop it at any time. No, you do not have to give a refund at any time. Like these things are for you. That also is to say though, that you have to take accountability for yourself and make sure that the reading is good. Make sure that the product you're giving is with authenticity and with um, uh, genuineness, I, I guess would be the, the way. And so, you know, those are some basic tricks, but also just having a gigantic crystal in your hand, like literally, a, um, you know, I store a lot of energy in it and I will use it to when I'm flagging, when I'm like really down. Because there's days where I've done a whole festival 
left and then gone and, and read at a bar and I've read 12 hours that day. And at the end of the day, I am the descendant of slaves though. And those ancestors bolster me. Um, and you'd be surprised what you have to do when you have to eat. Yes. Like you have to eat. And, and that is to say also that it's not exactly an unpleasurable thing either. You know what I mean? I, I love it. And I love it passionately. So I think that that also probably plays a role. And between all of those things, I think that I just make it work. And I don't prefer to do that all, all the time. I do not recommend that crazy schedule all the time. And now I have um, other readers such as Lion Lightworker and... Um, and other folks who are also awesome. And I will call them to take up gigs that I can't get, that I can't um, take. Oh, cool. So that's, that's what I've started doing, which I think is a better way of doing it. So I, I'll do a double shift if I have to, uh, but I rarely do anymore. So, but back in the day, that's how I did it. That's a nice self-care. Yeah. And, and then and the cool thing. What was that? And you're helping others in your community too. Yeah, yeah, that's what I was about to say. Was pretty much it. It then allows another worker of color um, to step in, and then we're. I always feel like we're we're double teaming it. We're like you know hitting it from both sides. And because when I started reading in Portland, um, there really were no readers of color anywhere. And now, uh, not that they didn't exist. Mm -hmm. They just weren't in the shops. They weren't there. They didn't have businesses. Um, and now you're starting to see five, six, seven, eight of us. And, and it's common enough to where it's, it's, I'm not the only one. Nice. So, and I think it's been from partially, I like to say it's been from just give, sending out those gigs. And it's not that I'll never help a white reader. I have, mm -hmm. um, especially if they're queer, especially if they're marginalized in some other way. Uh, but my focus is readers of color because that is a particular tradition. When I started, it was me and it was Terrence. Up, you broke up a little bit. Say that one more time. I said, when I started, it was me and it was Terrence and we were the only ones around. Wow. So, yeah, it's yeah. really exciting to be able to see it kind of flower. Yeah, I think so too. I would like to see more in my area, in the Seattle area up here and back home. There were only a few, you know, back in Maryland when I was growing up before I moved um, to the West Coast 25 years ago, longer than that, 30 years ago. But um, <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah, I think, you know, a lot of brown people don't feel comfortable in these spaces. And me, I don't mind not feeling comfortable in that I'll make it my space anyway. It's really not up to you. Like, <laughs> is so... Is there like some history though attached to it where that was something that they kept private, you know, for healing amongst themselves because of all of the difficulty? I would say that in our community, um, we have not had access to public health care in a good way. And there's a ton of distrust with healthcare. Yeah. Um, right now, I'm going to school at Portland State University, and my major and focus is on getting my PsyD um, or PhD, um, you know, in psychology specifically aimed at Indigenous, Black, and queer minds. Um, and I really and and sexualities, and you know, like I'm really wanting to 
I want I want to be the psychologist of the fringe, and um, I really want to help people who are different, um, and I want them to claim themselves and and I think that psychology has a ton of tools to enable people to do that. I also think that psychology traditionally has abused people on the fringe. I believe that um, it has been definitely aimed at people who are white, who are cis, who are straight, who are, you know what I mean? And the rest of us have just had to do with breadcrumbs. And I don't think, I think that no one's talking about our problems specifically. So whether it's, you know, at this point in my book, I'm excited to write a, uh, this same book in, in 15 years after I have my degrees and my doctorates and whatever, uh, all those letters after my name, um, because I'm excited to see how I write it differently and how I view it differently, uh, because I think traditionally no one has given a fuck about us. And um, I think that I give a fuck about us and I'm going to change the way that we prioritize mental health. Um, if I have anything to say about that, and I don't mean just me, I mean, but I, if, if I have any say in it, God damn it, I'm going to have an impact on whether or not someone feels seen when they come into that office. You know, I'll never forget after uh, the last time I was, I was lynched and raped, uh, an attempted lynching, obviously. Um, it was about four years ago, five years ago. Um, and I'll never forget trying to tell my problems to a white, straight, cis psychologist. <laughs> and, and them looking at me like they were so overwhelmed. And in that moment, I couldn't have them be overwhelmed. I needed them to know what the next step was. And I had to find it for myself and I had to heal myself. And I did heal myself. And the fact is that not everyone has that capability. Um, everyone has the ability to heal themselves, but um, what if I hadn't been capable of healing myself from something that intense and that deep? What would that have meant? And healing ourselves only goes so far, and then we need to, you know, turn to someone. It's yeah. true. And even now I see a black psychologist, and just that in of itself has been deeply healing, um, you know, and she's amazing. Uh, she's just a super psychologist, Imani, um, Jamaica Imani Nelson, and she is here in Portland, and she focuses on the black community. And not only has she been amazing as my psychologist, she's she also went to PSU, and I'm like, wait, I don't get this one part. And she'll be like, hey, so here's what you do, and then you go here, and then you do, and you talk to Lucy. Lucy will have this key to here. <laughs> it's very, it's wow. it's amazing. So it's it's there's there's so much water under the bridge between the brown and black communities and 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 queer communities and psychologists there's so many horrible things that have been done and so and we need representation i listened to a woman a black woman speak she's a psychologist and she was talking about how there aren't very many psychologists in the black community and then getting the community to come it's okay you know to talk and have someone you know to reach out to and be on your healing team it's it's okay but it's also i mean it comes down to questions of money access um 
Yes. It comes down to trust. They literally do not trust psychologists, and nor should they, because or doctors either, because at one point they gave an entire town syphilis for fun. Yeah. For fun. Like, not, maybe not just for fun. They wanted to see what would happen if people didn't heal from syphilis. And this wasn't that long ago. Yeah, we have a lot of work to do around trust. Yeah, we have a lot of work to do around trust. And the only way we're going to do that is by them seeing some faces like them. If they come to, come to you know, talk about, hey, I, I was, someone attempted to lynch me. And this is a very, very regular um, fact of yeah. our lives. Because let's be honest, we just, here in Portland, there have been five or six bodies hanging under bridges and shit like this. You know what I mean? Uh, one of the and they ruled them all like suicides or something. Let me let me tell you something. No black person will ever 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 motherfucking choose their death by hanging. None of us will. None of us. None of us. So it's like one of those things where it's like, did they really? It was not a suicide. Like I'm smiling because it's it's not funny, but it is laughable. Like so, um, you know, it's just. When you're looking at this history, um, it's obvious that we need some change, and I and I want to be part of that change. And I think we can get a lot done. And I think that um, it's going to take some folks who are part of the community in multiple ways and intersectional, uh, hopefully, to 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 get that shit done because. I hate to say it, but a lot of times white people only cause problems. They don't fix them. So it's not that they can't be part of solution. They totally can, but they're usually not the antidote to white supremacy. Yeah. And there's a lot that still needs to be learned, including myself. Yeah. You know, getting educated. Yeah. Well, and, and, and they got, they have their work to do too. So they've got, in my opinion, it's almost like they've got to focus on the institutional stuff and we've got to work on our community and we've got to, we've got to, and we have been, let me also say that Brown people have always been very involved in our community. It's not like a new thing. We have been doing this. It always drives me nuts when they're like, well, black people don't care about when black. Yes, they do. Yes, they do. Yes, Yes, they do. There's been huge summits. Yeah, like here since the beginning. <laughs> since the beginning, you know, we've been talking about it for many, many, many times. Black leaders, like this, like, like we've always given a fuck. Like, so that always drives me nuts. So it's not like, hey, uh, oh, we don't. We all of a sudden decided to care. No, no, no. We've always cared, but I think we have better tools now um, than we did before, and I think. Um, hopefully education is opening up and some of these glass ceilings are opening up so we have access, I hope, you know, because it is still hard. Like me getting into PSU was hard. Um, it, me, me pushing for funding was fucking difficult. Um, and, you know, I've heard some horror stories from um, black people at PSU trying to get their masters, trying to get their doctors, having to sue the school um, for them because the school didn't agree, like, with some of their findings in medical journals. Or, you know, and they said that medical journals weren't um, decent sourcing, which medical journals are completely valid sourcing. And so... Um, and that I, I've, I've heard it from multiple people. I've had multiple warnings about PSU and I haven't even gotten yet. So I'm just like, Ooh. <laughs> so, and, and yet 
every single black person has told me who, who's warned me has been like, yeah, they're the same as everybody else. It's yeah. the same everywhere. And so it's terrifying. It's doing the work and pushing forward, breaking the glass ceilings. Well, what they told me was make sure you have collateral. Make sure you know who your, your professor's having an affair with. Make sure you know, all, like, like that kind of collateral. Like that's how my people are having to fight glass ceilings is they're having to grab dirt on people. They're having to fight on this level that is astonishing. Uh, and that shouldn't have to happen. Yeah. You should only be able, you should only have to like prove, you know, go through the channels where you prove your work, um, not have to deal with the fragility of the professor. Uh, so, but apparently that's not been the case. So cool. Um, you know, we're strong people and we make things happen. And I am like any of my ancestors where I, it's, it's gonna happen how much am I going to have to go through you to do it? Yeah. That's your choice. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, cause I, cause, cause I'll go over, under, around, um, don't make me go through you. So <laughs> not to be threatening, just, just to be, you know. Wow. Thank you for doing the work, Ron. Yeah, it is what it is. And it, and it's not just me. It's the whole community. Um, the black and brown communities are amazing and resilient and aspirational. Yeah. You so know, we're to the end of our hour. Yeah. What would you like to end our talk with? What would, what's something that you would like our listeners to take away from this talk? Um, you know, I would say, you know, definitely check out all the different things I'm doing. Cause yes, cool. Um, I'm always around for readings. Uh, but actually, I would like to also tout out a book that's one of my favorite. It's called White Supremacy and Me. Um, and it's one of my favorite books. Uh, and I, it's by Layla M. I'm not sure how to say her last name. Sayad, S-A-A-D. Uh, and I would encourage everyone to pick that up and to be part of the fight and to get involved. And we all say Black Lives Matter, but it's time to, I guess, show that Black Lives Matter too. Yeah, it is. And you also, I want to give a plug to Michelle T. show on Instagram. Oh, we forgot. <laughs> we do not forget. <laughs> yes, I'll be taking over Michelle T.'s Instagram. She wrote this amazing book called Modern Tarot. And Michelle T. is just a badass and a killer ally and uh i'll be taking over her instagram on the 14th i will be in full drag full glam we are gonna awesome. sing we're gonna do some tarot and i'll be reading excerpts from my book and i'll be premiering my upcoming deck so you're gonna get to see all of that i'm looking forward to it me too um, thank you so much for joining me everybody find ron on instagram at sir Bron the blessed wonderful Great. Thank you so much, Ron. And thank you for listening, everyone. I'm Liz Peterson on Raise the Vibe with Liz. Have a great day, everybody. Remember to get out there and raise the vibe. Take care, everyone. Thank you for listening to today's show on Raise the Vibe with Liz. If you like this content and want to support me, please go to Patreon at Raise the Vibe with Liz or click the link in the description of this show. And remember, change starts with you. So get out there and raise the vibe. Thank you, everyone.